Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today we step back into The Tempest. As a programming note, we spent a good chunk of this episode trying to remember something that we had said in the previous episode. Uh, We were talking about something that could be an adaptation of The Tempest, because there really aren't that many. Uh, And we said that maybe at a sideways glance, uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice might be one. Um, Not super sure what we were thinking with that, but it's that. We were talking about that. Uh, If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act direct or anything else theater related, please reach out to us at facebook.com forward slash Lionface Productions. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash Shakespeare and at Shakespeare Pod. And now, on with the show. We tried to do this thing where, like, all right, so we'll only allow certain things in the house. We just won't tell them the pop troll is a thing. Well, apparently <laughs> there's outside forces that interact with our children. Yep. Who told them that Paw Patrol is a thing, and because we denied it, it became a super thing. Yep. So Prospero's got some things there, right? <laughs> as somebody who was denied Simpsons as a child... Absolutely. If you literally but, okay, forbid the them to interact is with good. Them, good. Right. The Paw Patrol is very bad. Right. But the problem is, is your Especially children... Especially 90s Simpsons is your, good. Your, your, your children are at the age where Paw Patrol is what they want to watch. Right, but there's other things they want to watch, too, that, like, so we stayed away from Nick Jr. Okay. And did only, like, Disney Jr., because Disney Jr., I could tolerate, it had storylines, there were things going on. It was I much. It was less episodic. Yeah, there was things that I could I could follow. Like I really cared whether or not Sophia um, learned how to be a princess up in the castle doing it right mm-hmm. or not for a while. They both don't. They won't do Sophia. They're out of that now. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Izzy's, Izzy's well super, beyond Sophia now. I got super now. into Dinosaur Train. Like I learned more from Dinosaur Train than I did oh, no, from Izzy, my collegiate dinosaur geology class. Huh. Way more. Because he's actually been super into dinosaurs lately, so we've watched uh, some, even some like documentary type specials on dinosaurs. Uh, Pink Fong, who is the one who's making Baby Shark super popular right yeah. now, they've also got a series of poorly rhymed dinosaur songs. Mm-hmm. And by poorly rhymed, I mean it's originally Korean, <laughs> redubbed into English. It wasn't gonna rhyme and. Parasaurolophus doesn't really rhyme with a lot of stuff. Not <laughs> a lot. Um, there is a really good um, They Might Be Giants uh, kids album called Here Comes Science. There's actually a few of those. Yeah. Um, Here Comes Science. I genuinely love that album. It's very fun. If you've ever wanted to listen to what would happen if They Might Be Giants got a hold of Rocky Horror Picture Show but was doing it for kids through Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse has got that covered for you. Alright. There's a Haunted haunted Mansion or something like that one that's ugh. It's just... Oh, so, well, yeah, I, they, might, they Might Be Giants does a lot of kids music. Yeah, they, they do. They did the, the... The Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. The Powerpuff Girls. They did the hot dog song for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Yeah, they did that. Uh, yep. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. There was a long time where if Michael and James were being fussy, mm-hmm. you just start it. Just start singing it. 
They'll stop. Like, they'll yell at you. Mm-hmm. But they'll eventually stop and hot dog diggity dog with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of hot dog because uh, when I worked with Portrait Studio, that was a, a weekly occurrence. Somebody would whip out their phone and start playing the hot dog song. Oh, Izzy used to love that. Yeah. I kept, when I worked there, I kept the Frozen soundtrack on my phone specifically oh. so I could get Let It Go going. Um, we had when, when a meltdown today over Frozen. Izzy never got into Frozen. So, and my kids didn't either. And I, for the most part, I don't really care about it that much. Yeah. But I don't it's, it's what I usually use to be like, you guys pick something, or mommy's picking, and she's picking Frozen. Mm-hmm. Well, James today was like, you know what, mom? I've never seen Frozen. He didn't sound like this because he's three. <laughs> right. I've never seen Frozen, so I'm with you. Let's curl up on the couch. I want to watch Frozen. I'm like, yeah. All right, let's watch mm-hmm. some Frozen. And Michael just, like, loses his shit. <laughs> no, it's scary. I mean, it's not scary. You just don't want to watch it. I know. I don't want to watch it. It's Mommy's turn. It's Mommy's turn. And he's, like, flailing and all this. I'm like, well, now we've gone too far. We now cannot let you not watch. Like, Now you have to watch Frozen, you little son of a bitch. Now I have to put it on to show you that you can't act like that to get what you want. So now we're watching Frozen. And it had been at least a good year, year and a half since I'd seen it. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's, it's, it's fine. It's not that bad. It's not a watch it every day. And if my kids no. wanted to, I'd kill them. <laughs> right. And it was like, let it go was the song to go yeah. to to get the children to stop. Well, there was, there was, a, there was a, a real craze. Let me, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I worked in an elementary school oh, yeah, the year sure. Frozen came out. <laughs> Remember that Halloween? I do remember that Halloween. I also <laughs> remember... All the little Elsas. All the little Elsas in the school. All the little Elsas in our little neighborhood of townhouses. Yeah. I... Too many Elsas. I was working as a, an autism para in this elementary school the year this movie was huge. And the music class that I had to escort our third graders to for their special did something every year with the kids called Star Search, and it was basically like a little talent show. And it was a quote-unquote competition where the... As Star Search is. Yeah, where the, the teacher, the music teacher would pick like the top 15 or so from each grade, and she would film them, and they could get like a little DVD or something. But anybody could come and do something for Star Search. How many times did someone sing? Let In it one class period, four girls sang Let It Go. And one girl sang the troll song. Fixer Upper? Fixer Upper. And I was like, I applaud you. Thank you for thinking outside of the box. <laughs> you chose Thank a you for going something unusual. The, the frozen seaside. It's also, it would be very difficult. It's fast. It's fast, and there are multiple parts, and she was doing all of them. And I was like, yes, you go, nine year olds. This doesn't just happen in that, though. I remember proctoring for OMEA. Did, we, did you guys do OMEA? Yeah, I did. Okay. So I remember proctoring for OMEA in high school when I was still trying to be a national honor society volunteer hour thing. Um, and I swear, like, the, I got stuck in the violin room one year, which is terrible, by the way, if you have to be in high school, in junior high violin room. <laughs> and all I had to do was like, this is their name, this is their grade, this is what they're playing. And the number of times that Pachelbel came up 
Poor violin. I'm like, why? Pachelbel yeah. I mean, poorly played on the violin. I know. It is like, a room in hell. It is Pachelbel played through screechy cat noises. Like when it, like I did a was stuck in the strings room. So violin for like elementary school was all hot cross buns. Was all terrible. Right. But short. But short. <laughs> Where Pachelbel was like, it, each piece was like two and a half minutes. Because they were playing specific sections, but man, it was the same thing over and over. And Pachelbel is repetitive anyway, and it's in your yeah. everyday life. <laughs> so you'll be like driving down the road, and you're like, "Oh, Green Day? Nope, that's Screechy <laughs> Pachelbel Caden right there." Oh gosh, make it stop. So that's to see. Ugh. And I know proctors are high school volunteers, and so there's certain standards you can't really hold them to. No, um, I but I was doing. <laughs> Uh, my senior year, my French horn solo was a piece from Carnival of the Animals. Mm-hmm. So I got announced, and not only did my name get butchered, because my maiden name, Guyan, is not an easy one to pronounce if you just see it written down. So, not even... Cassie gone! Not only... Gwen. Gwen. Yeah, not only did my name get butchered, but then it was announced she'll be playing from Carnival of the Animals by Camille St. Sands. And I was like, that's not, no, it's French. It's all <laughs> French. <laughs> Good try, job! Try it again, but with more <laughs> Colbell. Yeah. Was... <laughs> I just wanted to punch you when you said that. Yeah, I know. Did you, I, want, did you want to punch yourself? A little bit. A little bit? Just right in the throat? Look, I've seen what happens when Chase gets punched. <laughs> it made it sad and weird. <laughs> yeah, it, t- it took it back to a like traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's got a glass jaw. You can't just I punch him. I really think it was... It might be glass now, but it wasn't it's glass not great. then. <laughs> it wasn't glass then. So, yeah, that was a sad day. Pavement's a hell of a drug. <laughs> I got the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> we just recorded for ten minutes, and I got the shit kicked out of me. He got when me. I was in college, uh, I was laid up for months. My jaw was wired shut. It was awful. That's and that's when we started in. dating. Yeah. Cassie swooped in. Swooped she in when I was, Yep. I love the Florence Nightingale. She did. She that nightingaled is, him. That, that's how I got my husband, too. His, his appendix started to rupture on our first date. Well, should have been our first date. I swooped in, he was on Vicodin, made out, now we're married. Mm -hmm. See, but here's the thing, like, that's a fun story, but what might arguably be more fun is if he hadn't been mugged in his parking lot. There is that. There is that. that. But also, the fact that it happened, you sent the email out to everybody in the theater group, and I was like, oh, man, he seems like such a nice guy. And then Bryn asked me if I wanted to go visit him in the hospital. And I went, that would be super weird, I feel. No, I don't want to do that. But Bryn and I had already decided that you two should get together. So <laughs> Yeah, well, those of us on the other side, we didn't expect Chet. Uh, chassis to happen. We didn't chassis. expect. I thought you were about to say Chad. I'm like, no, no. We didn't expect my brother. Nobody sucks Chad to happen. No, we didn't expect Cassie to 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 take the chase explosion <laughs> off the table. Who? I had to vomit at the chase explosion. Yeah. That's who he was at the time. 
Yeah, but he got that name because he went and picked up girls at a bar. I really didn't. No, but you were much more successful than Scott Schmichmulti. Having a .01% uh, success rating is technically better than a zero. Mesnum. That was that was because that was started when when it was just Mike and I going to the bar every Wednesday, and then everybody like other people started to come, and so then it was. Uh, Mike and I playing our favorite game of Have you met my friend Chase? And then dropping Chase at a table of unsuspecting girls. And unsuspecting Chase and unsuspecting girls. Yeah, but I'm a good listener, so I think I can make that work. And you're vaguely sexually non-threatening. Mm-hmm. So, that works. Yeah, I'm not sexually threatened by you, Chase. Sure. I've never felt awkward being alone in this company. Neither have I. Now, this has taken a very strange turn. <laughs> it has. It does. Let's really compliment Chase for nothing. <laughs> so hey, I don't even not be rapey. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's not, you know what? You know who did not but... succeed at that? Calabar! Yay! That, that, that is a great trait to have, way. though. It's a trait. Um, okay, it shouldn't be so a trait that you have. I don't, it should be. Yeah. I don't have a bulletin board, and I don't have pins. I do have pins, but I'm not going to just stick them in the wall. But, we some uh, but what notes. I have are post-its. Pins. So I have written as many pins as I remember from the first half. Is there anything that we talked about putting a pin in well, that's not Well, you know what we there? should talk about first? That this is the Shakespeare's Podcast, episode 34. My name is Beth Roars. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Cassie Greenley. And I'm Chase Greenley. I have no idea how long Chase is going to let that cold open go. So I'm, You know what? I'm, most of that was pretty good. I'm going to... Probably let all that in there. Yeah. Instead so, of talking about Paw Patrol, ended with how not rapey I am. So yeah, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Well, back to Paw Patrol, who also has just one token female. Mm. We should maybe talk about Miranda's agency, which also Sky from Paw Patrol has none. All right. <laughs> all right. So that's this. Panel. So so in the in the world of Paw Patrol, as the world of the Tempest, Sky is oh. our Miranda. Sorry, that's what else we were going to do. We're all waiting to write because we all forgot. But, uh, no, so uh, we what were, were we making into an adaptation of The Tempest? I don't remember. All right, <laughs> no, so, it was going to be brilliant. It Beth. was going to be brilliant. We'll, just get, we'll get there again as we keep talking. But, but, so yes, Miranda has no agency. She has been on this island for 12 years with just her dad and the rape monster. How, okay, so... She's stuck. She has absolutely no agency just from the definition of what is agency. She has no choices. She has no ability to make her own decisions. And even when it comes time to be like, oh, there is a new variable added into my life. I would like to choose that variable. She still has just a... When she thinks she's making her own decisions, she's not making her own decisions. Because it's been set up for her... By Prospero, there's a decision he wants her to make, and he's manipulated her into making it. He's, he's, he's... He's a meddlesome papa. Mm-hmm. Did you hear somebody knock at the door? I keep thinking I hear somebody at the door. He's, he's thrust Ferdinand in front of her with the expectation of using that as part of his revenge plot. Well, because that's what Prospero does. Prospero uses fucking everybody. 
He is to achieve his own ends. He wants off the island. He wants his revenge. And it doesn't matter who you are and how important you are to him. He's going to use you to get that as long as he can. And it doesn't matter that Miranda will probably be happy with this also naive That's not boy. the primary consideration. The primary That's consideration not, yeah. is how can let's, my let's, daughter be used to further my agenda. Yeah, let's, let's find a way to put my spawn on the throne of Naples, which took from me my dukedom to get back at the king of Naples. Like, that's the And the, the worst there. part is, with that, too, is he's trying to get revenge on Alonzo, who Alonzo was, like, nothing to do with what Sebastian did. Well, I mean, he gave him his he backing. Backed him. Yeah, he backed him. But, I mean... But it's like, it, Alonzo went for the path of least resistance. It's like, wait, so you've already got all... You've already doing the job? Fine. Do the job. Just don't kill your brother. Okay. He didn't kill his brother. He didn't. He put him on a boat. But, yeah, Prospero is a user. And I I want a story about what happens to Miranda when she's off the island, outside of the sphere of her father's influence, and experiences the world for the first time. Have you seen the moment in the movie Tangled, where Rapunzel comes down from the tower? Yes. That's mm-hmm. what happens. Also, like... There are enough psychological studies done of children who are kept in isolation to know that it's going to be very difficult for her to go back into society, to go into society, period. She's never been in it. And all those people, she's going to be agoraphobic. And well, she's, she's going to go on her room spring, huh? <laughs> well, well, and she's not, even, she's not even going to have a normal experience because she's going to be a queen. She's marrying the well, she's, prince. Yeah, she's going straight into being traded off to this other man who will then also control her agency. Yeah. Yeah. Now, luckily for Miranda, she doesn't know any difference, so it's not going to make her miserable until I finally read the pe- Penelope. Penelope. Yeah. The Penelope. Until she's like, till they hang her 12 maids, and then she's going to be like, wait, I had no choices. Yeah. So, I love that. I love that book, by the way. I, got I love it, the I got it for Christmas. It was really good. I put, put it's it short. It's very, it's very it's short. short. It's very short. Um, but she, yeah. She for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the Penelopead is the uh, tale of the Odyssey from Penelope, Penelope and her handmaid's uh, perspective. So Post, what? Posthumous. Yeah. What, what is what is happening? In Ithaca, while Odysseus is having his adventures, it's a wonderful tale of lack back of a Ithaca. complete lack of agency. So that's yes. why it comes back to this. Yeah, but yeah, Miranda has no agency, and even her—I don't know—made-up agency isn't even. She's there to be the virtuous virginal maiden. Yeah. So like, that is brought up immediately by Ferdinand. Like, hey, yeah. if you're a virgin. And we, when we talk about adaptations of this, we can see this virginal sacrifice come through in like Forbidden Planet. When I did, I one of the most, I think that's one of the most famous it adaptations. Is. It of is. It is. Yeah. Um, Forbidden Planet. She is. Absolutely a virgin sacrifice in that movie. She is there to be pretty and lead the men around the island. It is 
like absurd. It's absurd. Um, and a, I remember watching it for the first time, being like, "Oh yeah, well this will be fun." It's like the Tempest. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh, "I hadn't looked at the Tempest like that." But this is really <laughs> shining a light on how terrible Miranda has it, mm-hmm. because there's a way that you could look at this to be like, "Well." She has a magic father, and now she's married to a prince. Well, that seems great. She got freed from her tower. Well, if you're looking at the Disney movie version way, yeah. that's what you get. That's the, uh, you know, that's the Disney-fied The Tempest would be exactly that. It's like, ooh, her dad's a wizard, and then he marries her to a prince. Yeah. And, like, Happily you know, ever after. The nimble marmosets of the island come when she God sings. damn nimble marmoset. <laughs> But and we can't talk about female agency in any other capacity in this play because she's the only. She's a token. Well, the, the only character. the only females in this play are the the specter of Sycorax. As far as Sycorax was a woman, the made up harpy that you know would have been you know influence you know had influence in some way, shape, or form. And the Roman goddesses the, who yes. show up. Who yeah. are still just shadows. They're, they're still just shadows. Shapes. Yeah, they're yes. not. They're not real. And again, all of those images, including how we see Sycorax, is all based on the male perspective. Prosper. Of, yeah. yeah, Prospero's perspective or Caliban's perspective. And that's why I think it's really fascinating what Julie Tamer did in her adaptation, where she took the character of Prospero and made it female. Yes, and Dame Helen Mirren. And Dame Helen Mirren played the part very well. Lovely. But I think that that adds, honestly, a layer from this story that is severely lacking. Well, when we talk about women being part of a marriage mart, mm-hmm. um, we so often focus on, the like, your, your father gave you a way to, to be married to this other person. Like, we talk about... Uh, and Romeo and Juliet, Juliet's supposed to go marry Prince. Right? Paris. Paris. Yes. That she's supposed to go marry Paris. Um, like, over and over again, there's always this person that your father said you should marry. Looking at it as your mother, who went through the exact same thing you did. Yeah. Is also now setting you up to do the exact same thing again makes you think about the cycle of how we, as women, deal with our own legacy of... Yeah, how institutionalized the, right. you know, is. How, well, how we deal with the legacy of, of losing agency. How we deal yeah. with the legacy of giving up part of yourself. I mean, I know that nowadays you don't have to change your name to match your husband by any means. But there's still something there that bothers some women. It took me a really long time to actually do it. But there's, there's, and yeah, it's a, it's just an interesting thought that changing the female, changing the gender of Prospero just makes you think about that continuation. And it gives you two opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Miranda, who has no agency, and you have Prospera, in this case, who is literally controlling everything that happens to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Including so taking away her own daughter in this, including is their, that. her own yeah. agency at that. Yeah. And her, like, the agency of Prospero is slightly limited in that she's stuck on the island. Despite how much power, still stuck on the island. Yeah. Yeah. But controlling everything on the island. You know, why couldn't Ariel make him a boat? Why didn't he, instead of having Caliban carry 
wood for the last 12 years to stack up a Armageddon-style stockpile. Wouldn't they use their magic to make a boat and then use Ariel to push them to the mainland and then go take back their view from that Yeah, one? but this is the Gilligan's Island, right? Because well, then we wouldn't have a story. It's that, but it's also... I don't think... I think Prospero could have gotten off the island at any point. I think that wasn't the point for him. I thought I think he didn't want to escape the island. He wanted to bring his banishers to the island and get his revenge. So yeah. he made his daughter stay on yeah. a, a deserted island. Have you seen everything else that Prospero did in this play? Airport. Yeah. <laughs> I I absolutely believe that. Oh, yeah. I believe he he took sitting on the island went these idiots, I'm a sorcerer. They know that. It's why they banished me. Why do they think I can't get off this island? I think he looked at what he had. At some point, these assholes are going to come sailing past here. Well, and the books he found, the magic books he found, he didn't find until he got there. Because those were Because c- they were cigarette books. Yeah. Well, he had some books, though, because they were sent on the rowboat. That, R- right, yeah. but they weren't, like, the magic he found, he didn't yeah. find until he got to the island. Otherwise, then the other question is, you're very good of a sorcerer, were you, if you got banished? Hmm? But but I think he took stock of this. These are the assets that I have. I've got this indigenous person who I can enslave through you know magical torture. I've got this air spirit that I freed from a tree who's now beholden to me, and I've got my daughter who's about the same age as the prince, and I can work with that. But I have to wait for her to be old enough to be of marrying age, and then I can put my plan into work, which is great, because it gives me 12 years to perfect that plan. Do you think that the reason he kept cutting down all the wood was hopefully to maybe find another Ariel? That's a really interesting take. That is an interesting idea. Yeah. Possibly. I think most of what he... Most of the power Prospero has is accidental. I agree. Everything that he seems to have come across is just... I found these magic books... I managed to talk this fish man into being my slave. I accidentally found a sprite. Let's, let's well, to, to me, Caliban's never actually been inhuman. No, he just treated that way. Yeah, he's never been an actual fish man or anything like that. Fishman. He smells like a fish man. Yep, but he. But that's Trinculo. He's always also. Are you he's, saying he's an unreliable narrator? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Trinculo oh, is definitely unreliable. That narrator. makes sense. But but Caliban may be you know misshapen, or you know whatever, or he even be... just simply portrayed that way. Yeah. You know, and I've I've often you know I've often seen him portrayed as as hunched or loping and you know animalistic in ways, but not actually having animal parts. No, no, I don't think. No, so. I have I have seen it portrayed that way, and it always bothers me. I've never, I've never liked that portrayal of Caliban. No. So let's grab down another post-it, because I think we're here. Let's go for the who are the victims. So I'm keeping these post-its and the Sharpie on the table from now on, by the way. Yeah. That's a good idea. Only good took idea. us three, good idea. 34 episodes to, uh, yeah, <laughs> to think, think to take notes as we talk about things. Yeah. So who are the victims? Because Prospero loves to play the victim. But Prospero's he's, not But he's victim. not. It, because initially, in, initially... Is he a, like so to an extent? Initially, to an he extent, stopped paying prior attention to, to his but, job, but prior to the island, but it still, in a way, was a victim to his brother. His, in the very his brother deposed him. 
but deposed him because he wasn't paying attention to the job. Yes. Sebastian wasn't necessarily wrong to do what he did. No, not at all. But yes, okay, so there's there's a little bit... Prospero is the victim in a little little piece of the way. But as we just discussed, he could have gotten off that island. Yes. And but so hey, he on, made himself... Twelve years of island bliss. So he is the one who loudest cries, I am a victim. And I think he's the least of He's the, the least of a victim. I, I've brought that up, who, though, because I am yes, drinking I know. an island bliss by Evil Twin Brewing. Mm-hmm. And so, because it fits with the theme, and it's also going to be Make Cassie Try This Beer. Make so, Cassie since we are talking beer. about who are the victims... You are a victim. Cassie is the victim <laughs> of... Let's have Cassie try this beer... We're all okay. watching. I know you are. She's looking. She's trying cap- to find out. She's praising. She's making sure it doesn't have habanero mango in it. It does not. She does doesn't like tell me mangoes. what it has in it. It says malt beverage with natural flavors. Mm, natural flavors. I can extrapolate mm, from data malt. with the island bliss and guess, but... But yes, Prospero, Why least... Why do you always go for the bouquet? You know it's going to smell bad. Least... It smells like beer. Least of the victims, Prospero. Yeah, least of the victims. Most of the victims, Cassie. Okay. <laughs> Someone's got a bit of a victim mentality today. Oh, she made a good face, but it was Oh, a, yeah. It was a little nope. frog face. That nope. was it. Nope. She didn't like it. Nah. She didn't like it. That chair. But I do, actually. It's not bad. Um, so, of the most victimized, I think the two that are stuck there with Prosper are the most victimized. And... My thing with Caliban, which taps into colonialism, which is also posted on the wall. I think Caliban is a huge victim in this story. I agree. That's not to say that it, it, we get into a lot of like the cycle of abuse. I'm abused, therefore I abuse. And that is what Caliban gets caught in. And that is what Caliban... Some of it is also Caliban's nature. Some of it is... <sighs> But that gets into a sticky. No, I'm talking. I'm talking. His personal human nature. Yeah. Is he is not in his heart of hearts a good person? No, he's not. He would have raped her had you not stopped me. But how much of that raping people is wrong, and it shouldn't be done, and you know. But how much of that was because he was. Fighting against Prospero. Prospero was, Prospero. He was mistreated by Prospero, so he was going to hurt Prospero. And since he couldn't hurt Prospero directly, the next step is to hurt Prospero's daughter. No, and, and, and I'm it, not saying that that's, that couldn't be part of it. Well, and if you're othering... So Prospero has othered Caliban to the yes. point of slavery, right? So the best way to get back at that is to make the second line of Prospero also inherently othered. Yeah. So if Caliban peoples the island with Calibans, then he can outnumber Prospero, he can destroy the lineage of Prospero, he can destroy everything. Wait, well, he, he, he can he can he can take from from Prospero the thing that Prospero values the most. Right. And I'm not a Caliban apologist by any stretch of the imagination. Oh god, no. It's just an explanation. But Prospero created the cycle of violence. 
through his treatment of Caliban. And I do believe that that is true. And Miranda's the one who suffers. Miranda's always the one who suffers. She is the most victimized. Right. I think Caliban is the second most victimized. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we have everybody who's been drawn into this whole rigmarole. With various shades of victimization by Prospero. It's not that, like, none of them are victimized otherwise, aside from... You know, Gonzalo is mistreated by Antonio and Sebastian. Mm-hmm. But then he gets Adrian surprised. and Francisco are mistreated by the fact that they're pointless. Um, you know, there some people are literally put in a torture circle, or chased by imaginary dogs, or chased by imaginary dogs. Stefano and Trinculo are not victimized in that they don't even know what's going on because they're drunk. But when we come down to hearing someone say how much of a victim they are. Is typically the least victimized person. Right. Yes. Well, yes, and, and Prospero is, though he plays the victim card, is not a victim. By the time, by yeah. the time we're at this point. Yeah. Yes. It, it, the initial events, 12 years ago, he was a victim of his brother, you know, honestly, doing what was right for the people of, of Milan by taking over. Like, hey, all you do is sit in your tower and read your fucking books, man, and you don't pay attention to your people. And I would sit here and go, yes, Sebastian is completely in the right, except for the part where he goes to Antonio and goes, hey, why don't you go kill your brother so you can be king? Yeah, I'm not, I'm going by, in, by no is... means saying that Sebastian is in the right as a human being or, you know, <laughs> or whatever. At that moment, 12 years ago, Taking over as Duke of Milan was right for the people of Milan because Prospero was ignoring his duties. Yeah, exactly. Was Sebastian necessarily the right person? No. No. <laughs> so, I think that that scene there trying to kill the king is necessary then? To show, hey, Sebastian's not a great guy either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I was a bad duke, but he's a dipwit. <laughs> and he is. Well, and it also helps to to show it's it's relayed back to Prospero, and Prospero still also then you know gets to see like, oh hey, you know, it wasn't because I was a bad brother; it's because he's a bad brother. But I think it's kind of heartbreaking in a way that probably the one person who does not see themselves as a victim at all is the most victimized. Because I think if you talked to Miranda, she'd be like, I mean, yeah, it kind of sucks that I'm on this island and I don't get to meet That's people. That's part but of a survivor protector. No, so it absolutely That enables yes. human traffic. Well, she's, she's, yeah. got, she's got Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. again, from her, from her own father. From her own father. Because it's the only life she's ever known. Mm-hmm. And because dude literally just puts her to sleep whenever he wants to. Mm. I have no control even on my own body. Yeah, so yeah. she she has no control over anything. No control. No. Can't even. Hey, I gotta talk. I gotta talk to Ariel right now. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Man, but that would be swell. Hey, kids, mommy and daddy are exhausted because you're obnoxious. Go to sleep. <laughs> I'm kidding. My kids aren't really bad. They're amazing. They're gonna hear this someday. They might. Mm, go to sleep then. Alright, so next, You're, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's get into the colonialism. Let's go into the colonialism. Yes. Um, so, okay, so Prospero this, is just a walking, talking. He is. Colonialism. So, well, it's I like actually. 
I did a project on the new world and Shakespeare and colonialism in the Tempest for Stephanie Gehart's Shakespeare class. I thought I did more of a project on it than I think I actually did because I went into my computer to see if I could find it. And the paper that I wrote, I think apparently was for a partnered class presentation. And my half of it was talking about the new world in Shakespeare's time. And I did not talk about the Tempest at all. <laughs> in that so picture. you were probably involved with talking about yes. it with the project, but, but the it project, wasn't but your like, specific part of the project. My, yeah. But this, this play is thought to be like in that nostalgic, idealistic Shakespeare died on the same day he was born, even though we have no evidence to support that kind of way. Um, this is thought to be, this is his last play that he wrote. The yes. epilogue from Prospero is Shakespeare is he, saying is goodbye. Shakespeare himself saying goodbye. Yes. And it's kind of a romanticized idea. Shakespeare did not die on the same day he was born. People like to say that because he died on April 23rd and his baptism record is from April 23rd. And they're like, oh, he died on the same day he was born. Well, he no, didn't. We wouldn't have been died baptized. died on the day he was baptized. You wouldn't have been baptized until like a week after you were born. Is that... Well, they got to make sure you make it through that whole, like... <laughs> no. A lot of kids didn't even get until they were alive yeah. for two years. Yeah, anyway. That's neither here nor there. But, oh, but boy. That's just, so, <laughs> but because of that, this play is is one of the later ones that's, that was written. It was written in 1611. It is one of his Ish. last plays, um, often considered to be his last play. And so, because of that, the New World was definitely a thing mm-hmm. that the people of England knew about, and they sent their troublesome... They weren't sending their best and their brightest. <laughs> they were sending their criminals we either Australia to the New World shit. or Australia. Um, well, no, Australia came about later yeah. because of the Revolutionary War. It's like, well, we can't send our criminals... I was actually in a play about world. this okay. where, the, where the characters were, were complaining... That they couldn't send their criminals to the to the new you know to the yeah. Americas anymore because some assholes had to go and have a revolution. So that was why they were transporting to Australia instead. Excellent. So, but but this idea of we as you know European white men have spread to yeah the world and we've conquered the world and look where we're taking our European ideals to these. You know, backwards the, the savages, savages yeah. of this, and and you see a lot of that in, especially when Caliban's talking about when you first came to me, I loved you because you gave me language and you taught me about God and yeah, and you know, you taught me language and my profit on it is I know how to curse and and that very much is this whole like kind of missionary idea of I as a white person am going to go into the less enlightened. Let me make your life better. Yeah. By, oh, yeah, by yeah. taking my values, by and, assuming that you are backwards and primitive and taking my values and forcing them upon you. I'm saving you. I'm saving, yeah, to it's save you. The whole white, white savior, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to appropriate all of your resources and knowledge and enslave you. Yeah, it's... White a, people are mean? awesome. I made this. I made this. Squanto who? <laughs> And that you absolutely see that happening with Prospero. Well, and especially and well, like and like we said earlier, you know, like Prospero is a fucking seagull mine. from yeah, yeah mine. Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. mine. Because mine. the island 
and I can't stress this enough, the island is Caliban's. It is mm-hmm. Caliban's island. It is his home. It's where he was born. It's his birthright. It's, it's where his mother raised him and where his mother died, and yeah. And then Prosper shows up in a ship. He doesn't even want to be there. Yeah, and takes over and forces Caliban to show him where all the, you know, good parts of the island are, where to find fresh water, where to find fruit. All the okay, good shit. doesn't even force him, tricks him into yeah, it. Yeah, tricks him into it. And then enslaves him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then says, okay, it's my island now. You showed me where all the good shit was, so if you want to stick around... You can stack wood for me for a couple You're going to have to live in this cave over here. Oh, you have a problem with that? Okay, I'll send my spirit demons to torment you. To torment you. If you act out against me. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just... There's a... My family's big into Stan Freeberg. I don't know if you were familiar with Stan Freeberg. He is a comedian. Um, from like the seventies and he did all of these different stand up sketches about early American history. They're hilarious and you should check them out. And he did one with Christopher Columbus and the indigenous people that, uh, yeah. he discovered and it's Christopher Columbus coming to this beach and sticking a flag in it and saying, I claim this land. And then the Indians come in, Native Americans come in and they go, huh, what you doing here? It's like, oh, I'm sticking a flag in the sand because I discovered this. And the Indians go, you discovered it? We discovered you. Yeah, we've been living yeah, here for a we, while. We discovered you. And uh, Christopher Columbus goes, you fire. discover us? And he goes, well, we discovered you on the beach here. It's all how you look at it. And I, I get that sense from mm-hmm. this because it's very much Prosper showing up and going, this is my island now. Yep. Caliban, oh, yeah. bitch, please. Yeah, Caliban's like, motherfucker, I've been living here. This is my house. That's why I know where the nimble marmosets are. Exactly. If I hadn't been here, you wouldn't know where they I'll are. show thee where crabs grow. You won't be able to trap them marmosets. I'll dig thee pig nuts and I'll show you how to snare the nimble marmoset. Hey, is the pig nut how you grow a pig? No. Pigs are not grown from nuts. Dumb but he's going to dig the pig nuts. No, it's just what they call it. It's like a cashew or something. It's a legume. It grows in the ground. It's a nut. Why didn't you say that the first time I asked you what the fuck a pig nut was? You were asking where your pig nuts were coming from. Yeah. Well, that's what it, he's digging the pig nuts from the ground. It's like a fucking, Where did you learn that? It's like a fucking cashew. Where cashews you... aren't legumes. They don't grow from the ground. Yeah, they are. Cashews well, are legumes. They might be legumes, but they grow from the thing called this ca- called a cashew apple. <gasps> are they you can't nuts? eat it. It's highly poisonous. I are believe they nuts? I thought yeah, they were trick your husband into eating, to eating poisonous I things called apples. I think they're tree nuts. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I could, could be, be wrong. wrong. But it's a cashew well, apple, and then it's got this like growth on the bottom, and I that's will, where the actual nut comes from. What I can from. tell you is I'm allergic to <laughs> tree nuts, and I can eat cashews. Okay, so, so it may not be a tree nut. Maybe it's not a tree nut. But, so I know uh, almonds, almonds are tree nuts. Google how cashews grow. It's freaky as shit. Anyway, now everybody's on their phone. Yeah. <laughs> it does look grow. really weird. Oh, the ripe long. cashew fruit. And the little, the, the skin that the cashew nut is actually in is so caustic that touching it with your bare hands will burn your skin. Why do we eat it? Yeah, how do we find out we can eat that? Actually, I just had a post come across my dash on Tumblr that explained this. Uh-huh. Um, and it was because when humans are in situations where they don't have any other way to survive, they will eat poisonous things until it's not poisonous anymore. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Is that why I drink coffee? Yes. Probably. I drink a lot of it. 
That's so weird. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, moving on from cashew apples. Um, but yeah, I think I think the aspect of colonialism and our growing modern day sensibilities to it have made this play age in a really interesting way. Yeah. Because I'm sure when it was performed, people were like, yeah, get that Caliban weird, you know. Guy. And we guy. still do. We and still do. We still do, but I think the sensibility now is shifting to, you know, Prospero's kind of a dick. a dick about this whole thing with Caliban. And that's not to say that Caliban's not a dick, too, because he is. You shouldn't rape people, but you also shouldn't show up on somebody's island and enslave them. So there's... there's Two wrongs don't make a right. (laughs) There's faults on all sides here. Yeah. Except for poor Miranda. Except for Miranda, who's never done anything wrong. Who's Uh, stuck in the middle. She told Birdman her name. Oh, yeah. Daddy said no. Daddy said don't do that. She's a rebel. Rebel, rebel. Alright. So, (laughs) is... Blank an adaptation for the Tempest. I don't remember. Was it Paw Patrol? No, it was. I don't know. Might have been. No, I don't know Paw Patrol. Yeah, I don't know Paw Patrol well enough either. Because what were we gonna try and? Everybody listening to this right now is like, it's this thing. Yeah, well, you made such a big deal about it. They just, they just listened to the last episode. and They know, but we don't. I don't remember anymore. We forgot because we didn't write it down because we're jackasses. Our pins are bad. So let's move on to language. We're jacasses. All right, language. Haha, ha, I'm so excited Boat to swing. talk about this. Well, Bosun. We're not, yeah, that's not on my list of things to talk about. But language and how people use it and verse and prose and all that kind of stuff that one me might intellectual lady crush, Kim. Shout out to Kim. Because hey, I'm going to talk about more language stuff. Um, I do have a language thing to put in here. So... Prospero and Miranda speak in your traditional iambic pentameter. Yes. Caliban speaks in verse. Most of the time it's iambic pentameter. Yes, but it is not but it always. Keeps, it, he, he keeps stumbling into 11 beat lines. Yes. And they're not consistent. It's not like a consistent pattern. It's just every once in a while it he puts in, in an extra beat and it's... It's such this fascinating... Well, it's enough to throw it off and make it sound like he doesn't know. Like he doesn't know. And so it's this idea of he was taught this language by someone else but doesn't have a firm grasp of it and yet still speaks in the elevated verse above Tranquilo and Stefano. He speaks in the verse that he was taught. Yes. Because he was the way he who he was taught to speak the language by. Yeah. And that was the most fascinating language thing. Because I... I started off... No, and I, and I love Caliban's yeah. lines. But I started off reading it going, this reads awkwardly to me on the page. And you, if, if you're not familiar with how Shakespeare puts language together, you probably will notice that it reads awkwardly, but not be able to put your finger on why. But it's, it makes it fun to perform. It makes it so much fun to perform, and it's such a telling detail to put in to inform his character. Yes. And to unsettle and, and it does and it does audience. make him more unsettling even yeah. even with even without knowing the other things about Caliban about you know the trying to people the owl with Caliban's and things like that when you're listening to Prospero and Miranda speak and it's iambic pectameter and it's a verse and everything it, it flows and is smooth and then Caliban speaks and it flows and then stutters yeah it's da 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 yeah. And you it, 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 it flows for a bit, but then it stutters. 
and it so, flows, and then it stutters, and, and it's it, but so it, fascinating. It informs the character, and it's so consistent. Mm-hmm. Not consistent in that it follows the same awkward pattern every time, but consistent in that every time he talks, there is it has that, that awkward There is feeling. an awkward stilting to the way he delivers his words. And then Ariel, of course, speaks in iambic pentameter when he's talking to Prospero, and then when he goes into, like, crazy air spirit mode, it goes more often like the fairies into the tetrameter. Yes. And then Prospero's final... Um, final epilogue is in Tetrameter. Yes. But that's because he's breaking the fourth wall. But he's wall breaking the fourth wall. To the exactly. So, so like often Puck. when Shakespeare is doing these higher characters, though, like a spirits, fairies. Yay, the that actually is a story. Alright, so it's time to pause for station identification. So where were we on the Tempest? Mm. We're so it's about language right? stuff. Okay, so. And trying to remember what we were going to turn into an adaptation of the Tempest. Yeah. I feel like at this point we should just pick something random. Um. Well, what do we like? It's going to bug me until we listen to episode, until I listen. I know. Ready for the girls' pop? Mm-hmm. Took a second. As soon as I said it was gonna pop, it was like, oh, I'm not. I'm not a monkey. I don't dance for you. Um, I'm no marmoset. I'm no marmoset. We were talking about language still. Is that the next uh, button for Shakespeare? I'm mm-hmm. no marmoset. Trap the nibble marmoset. Trap the no nibble. snare. Snare the nibble marmoset. So I did have two things about language that I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up, um, and it wasn't until you said language that I was like, oh yeah, I wrote notes, uh, because I. I so often start reading these plays while I'm at work. So, one of the things kind of goes back to Miranda and her agency. He calls her his art frequently. Mm-hmm. So, but nothing more than that. Just, mm-hmm. But he also has, Prospero says, my biggest grammar pet peeve. I hate it when people fuck up superlatives. It's not hard. It's not hard. To get them right or to fuck them up? I guess both, apparently, because people fuck them up all the time. More funnier. Come on! Pick one. Just pick one. So his his alignment is more braver. He talks about his daughter. She is more braver. Come on. More braver. Anybody else? No, oh, no, 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 I get well, what you're saying, yes. He's been on an island for 12 years, maybe they changed that rule while he was there. He taught language. He's teaching it wrong. Well, he was, look, he had to talk to Caliban for a long time. That's true. So, speaking again of language, there are a lot of really iconic Shakespeare phrases from this play. Yes. yes. Um, Oh, Brave New World that has such people in it. Yeah. My favorite Alvis Huxley book. Yes. Um... But yeah, there, there, there's a lot I of. I think flame amazement. I think is. I don't. I think it's a cool line. I don't know that that's like. Yeah, I feel like it's really well known. Okay. Brave, brave new world. Brave new world, which is actually an adaptation of. The yes. Tempest. So that's yeah, but there were there are other ones, and I can't think of them off the top of my that. head. But. Yeah, I, I think it is at least an in part, or at least maybe not necessarily an adaptation of the Tempest, but an homage. 
Uh, yeah, I just, I don't see it because to me, that book is about one guy traveling through one particular town where we get Alice Huxley's idea of deadening this state with Soma, that everybody takes this drug so that everybody is placid. And then kids have sex with each other in a garden. Like I said, I think I think at the very least, if not a direct adaptation, at least is in some ways an homage. Yeah, I mean it has hence, to be. Hence, well, it, hence it's, the it's, title. Yeah, it takes the title from. Um, but even though I can't think of them off the top of my head right now, there were a lot of lines that I was reading this going, that's one of the kind of classic, mm-hmm. iconic lines from Shakespeare. And I guess we talked a lot about the Julie Taymor movie, but we can talk more about um, adaptations. Speaking of a, a wonderful, wonderful, cast wonderful cast in that movie, um, Julie Taymor um, got a a stellar crew together yeah. to make that. Felicity film. Jones, Helen Mirren, Russell Brands, Alfred Molina, Jamon Hansu, who I love in mm-hmm. everything that he's in. Um, Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming, the guy who Chris plays... Chris Cooper is in it. The guy whose name I can never remember, but he plays Arthur Spiderwick in the Spiderwick Chronicles and Captain Keller in the most recent Miracle Worker movie. That guy. Um. Ben Whitshaw? No. No, 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 not him. Is he in this? Yeah. David no, Stratham? He's Ariel. That's why Ariel looks familiar. David Stratham, that's him. Yeah, that's, I would say David Stratham. That's why Ariel looked Tom, Tom Conti plays Gonzalo. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a it's stellar... It's a powerhouse a cast. stellar cast. And it is a beautiful visual adaptation. There were a couple times when Chase <laughs> and I were watching going, Okay, Julie. Um, oh, it gets wild. It, it, hey, it's Jules? Very, Jules? It's Jules very... If, well, if you know anything about Julie Taymor, it's very Julie Taymor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I did a... I did a project in college. On I, was, I will, I will, we will get back into Julie Taymor when we talk about we, Titus Andronicus. Yeah, and I still need to watch her Titus Her, her Titus is amazing. I have the VHS. <laughs> I don't have a way to watch You're VHS. You're so old. <laughs> but Julie Taymor, if anybody is not familiar, um, what she's really most well-known for is she did the Lion King on Broadway with all the crazy puppets. And super failed at Spider-Man. And super failed at Spider-Man, but everybody's allowed one. Um, but, but she, she done... her, her background is in international forms of puppetry and, um, she's been an incredibly innovative visual director and she mm. brought a lot of that flair to this reimagining and, of yeah, the saying, her, her Shakespearean adaptations that I have seen are phenomenal visual mm-hmm. art. And I love, I love this, um, one of the things actually about this, uh, her, The Tempest, was some of the, uh, the special features on the, on the Blu-ray, because I have mm-hmm. this on the Blu-ray, um, like, uh, Russell Brand and Alfred Molina and, like, the rest of the, like, doing a table read is on the special features, like, they have this, and Russell Brand actually has a really great, like, Talking about what he is doing while he is he is uh, playing Trinculo and like his motivations and things like that, and it's like some of it's really really good, and I highly recommend watching the special okay. features um, from Julie Taymor's The Tempest. 
Obviously, I, I highly recommend watching it anyway because, like I said, the cast is amazing. It's fantastic. Helen Mirren is wonderful as Prospero. Mm-hmm. The visualizations are. Um, the Ariel. Black raven wings of Ariel. When Ariel's a harpy. Just <gasps> the visual. Beautiful. The Beautiful. visual Caliban, which made him other without making him grotesque. Right, well, and he's. Well, and Jaman Hanzu is a wonderful actor. Jaman Hanzu yeah. is also incredibly dark skinned. Yes, mm-hmm. which helps. So, if we want to talk about colonialism, mm-hmm. specifically with a British background to it, that is very, very apt. Very, yeah. very apt. Yeah. So, um, um, but uh, the production that my parents talk about all the time, I mentioned in the previous episode that this mm-hmm. is kind of their show, they saw it on their honeymoon. They go back and see it whenever Stratford does it. Um, they talk about the production they saw on their honeymoon and how it was so powerful and the Prospero was so good that ironically, after the end of the show, when he delivered that final monologue, they said there was legitimately silence in the theater for a full minute because nobody wanted to be the first to break the spell, despite the fact that Prospero's last monologue is like literally asking you for applause. And I don't know how I would handle that as an actor because on the one hand, it's like you can always tell in a theater if the silence at the end is, I didn't really like this, or if it's everybody holding their breath collectively. Mm -hmm. So as an actor, I would be loath to break that, but at the same time, I'd be like, all right, I just said that I'd be staying on this island unless you clapped for me. Also, like, Guys, we quit in time to five minutes. Can we? Can we? Please? This yeah. makeup is itching. <laughs> but uh, no, having having both been in productions of The Tempest and having directed The Tempest, this this play means a lot to me, and mm-hmm. it's it's one that is very important to me. Um, my first beautiful kids was playing Caliban in The Tempest. Um, you know, that only matters to people that have been through Bowling Green and know what Beautiful Kids Independent Shakespeare Company is. Well, if you've ever but done college-level summer, summer stock, stock yeah. you know what Beautiful Kids is. It's yep. the exact same thing, pretty much. But, um, you know, you know, my my one of my first experiences, you know, doing theater, you know, in this town, you know, mm-hmm. doing Shakespeare in the Park, was playing... Um, Caliban there. And then, uh, you know, eight years ago, I directed... What? No, oh, that's gross. Oh, 2011? Well, I se- thought I was se- pregnant with one of the kids. Seven and a half years ago. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I directed The Tempest, and uh, we did it as, as Chase mentioned, Commedia dell'arte. Um, which, if anyone's not familiar, that is the, the masks, um, is where Punch and Judy shows come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Um, actually, our mask for Caliban was Pulcinella. Um, and a delightful Joel Payne did a yeah. wonderful job yeah. as Caliban. I like his Caliban better than my own. Yeah. Um, Media takes you, characters down to, like, their kind of stock level. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think works very well for this show, especially when we're talking about Miranda as like the pure... Well, and the, and the lovers... They become the lovers. They're very one-dimensional The, the, the lovers in, in, in um, Commedia, there's usually two sets. 
and they are they're unmasked, usually in heavy like makeup, you know. Um, so I did two sets of lovers, um, turned Antonio into Antonia. So you made lovers out of Antonio and Sebastian. Yes, as Shakespeare would have wanted. <laughs> so I did Antonia and Sebastian, and then Ferdinand and Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to see a photo of uh, the Lion Faces Caliban, go to lionfaceproductions.com. Uh, that particular photo is on the, uh, the the photo crawl on our landing page. Hey, maybe yeah, we'll we put were, it in the show notes. Maybe. Yeah, we'll put yeah, that we link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, super proud of that show. Um, I Darren Kerr, wonderful Right, Darren actor. Kerr. We've, we've extolled Darren Kerr before. Um, we have. And he, he played Prospero, um, and his Commedia archetype was Il Dottore. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I actually have some of the dramaturgy, you know, mm-hmm. stuff here with me, um, from when we did The Tempest and, like, some of my notes and things like that on, on directing the show. If dramaturgy is a word you've never encountered before, which is likely. A dramaturg <laughs> is the person that does a lot of the background Information. Yeah, it's it's historical research specifically it's for one theater, of my basically. Favorite jobs in the theater. Yeah, it's you do research into the time the play was written, the time the play is set, and it gives all this context information that's really important for actors to have. And actually, I had wonderful help, um, uh, and a wonderful dramaturg for this, Amy Reed. Delightful. Did a lot of the dramaturgy for this with uh, Commedia del Art and the masks and everything like that. Um, Character information and everything like that. Like, I have a wonderful dramaturgy packet, actually, that I still have um, from Amy that she prepared for the cast, uh, you know, to to be able to uh, understand, you know, what you know, things were going on, and, and well, you know, like... yeah, because you're doing beyond just do Shakespeare, you're doing the Commedia del... Well, yeah, and she actually, she did all the Commedia information, um... She's got still shot pictures from the Julie Tamor Tempest. Yes, actually, yeah, so, um... You know, and then also she has some, some other stuff in here as well, you know, like, Francisco and Adrian, you know, and then, you know, Trinculo... Whose commedia character was Il Capitano? Um, you know, Stefano, whose commedia character was Scaramouche. You know, and so there's, and you know, Tempest history and concept and everything like that. And like she did, she did the Lord's work on her dramaturgy packet for the show. And I cannot speak, um, more highly of the effort. Honestly, so many people put a huge effort into that show um, that, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful show. Very proud of. And uh, super happy with how everything turned out with that. And had a, you know, was blessed to have some very good actors um, portray roles in that show. So, like I said, this show, very near and dear to me. Um, you know, and well, there's I, a lot to unpack, clearly. Yeah. We've unpacked a lot of stuff from the show that 
when we've talked about this in the past, we think we talked a little bit about Miranda and things like that, but never really this in depth. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there is so much to it with the colonialism and agency and and everything else, and you know, Prospero literally the end of the play is Prospero giving up magic and saying, I want to go back and leave my people again and, you know, forgiving his brother, forgiving the king, you know, melding their two houses together and, and going, you know, basically, you know, hey, this last 12 years, you know, let's, let's move on from it and become better for it. And... You don't really have to put pins in things. Oh, but Cassie put another pin in the in the board, in the oh. proverbial board. Before we go to that pin that she just put in the proverbial board, something else I want to point out about the website that we probably should have pointed out in some other episode at some point. Uh, if you would like to see the production that Lionface Productions did of The Tempest, you can actually find it at lionfaithproductions.com forward slash video. Oh, is the whole thing still up there? Yep. Yeah, I actually yes. still have DVDs of it. Yep, nice. part one and part two are up there along with... Uh, uh, our productions of Dr. Faustus, Merchant of Venice, R&J, and some one X that we did uh, back in 2013. Everything in the public domain, apparently. Yes. Good for us. Or originally written for us. Yeah, well, the one X. Yeah. Yeah, so there is some stuff you can see up there. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, you know, I hope you go and watch. Yeah. Absolutely. So forgiveness. <laughs> Beth said that because that's what I wrote on the post-it note that's stuck on the wall. Um, because this reminded me as Ryan was talking about talked about Prospero's character and we talked about how he, it's kind of aged as society advances past the mindset of go conquer the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're looking at past conquerors going, you weren't actually great people when you enslaved all those indigenous people and killed them with smallpox. What? No, yeah, you're pretty Mm, terrible. You know? And so, because of that, I feel like I personally have a different relationship to Prospero than perhaps other viewers of this play might have. And I really want to see Prospero have a moment of growth. And I don't know if he does. Even, I think it depends on how he's directed. So even his forgiveness I, is really caustic. So yeah. when you read the forgiveness in the last episode, it was like, even though like saying or calling you my brother would make me vomit in my mouth, I, I forgive you. It reminded me really strongly of um, a moment that I had with my students this morning in my theater class that I'm teaching. They're working on against type characters mm-hmm. and performing monologues. And uh, one of my guys is doing Nora's monologue from Brighton Beach Memoirs, where she gets into a big fight with her mom. And at one point, she says the line, I'm not judging you. And I said, anytime a character says, I'm not judging you, you know with 100% certainty that they are, in fact, judging that person. I don't mean to be, (laughs) I don't mean to be a dick, but. Exactly. And I get the same sort of sense from Prospero's quote unquote forgiveness. I feel like Ariel's moment in Act 5 is genuine. 
I feel like Ariel is genuinely going, look, I've done all this stuff to these people because you told me to, and I had to, and I didn't have a choice. But they're actually a little bit pathetic, and haven't they been punished enough? You've already done all this shit to them. You made them think they were dying. And should, those people in this fear bubble. And so maybe you should try a little bit of tenderness. Don't make me sick. Okay, usually, <laughs> usually when I hear try a little tenderness, I'm not thinking about the forgiveness here. Different connotation. Don't make um, me sick. Cross the tug and you walk away. But I feel like... <laughs> try a little tenderness, man. <laughs> I feel like you can direct it so that Prospero has a legitimate change of heart in that moment, but the way that it's written, I don't feel like he does. The way that it's written, I feel like he's like, yeah, Ariel, Sure. Yeah. I'll go forgive them. Absolutely. And then when he gets there, it's like, yeah, I forgive you, I guess. But it's it's not genuine forgiveness. It's Ariel more, told me to. It's, it's more like a, <laughs> see how awesome I am. You've done all these horrible things to me, and yet I forgive you. It's, it's, it's proper I, superiority. I am, I am the bigger told, person. I'm really sorry that your feelings got hurt. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry that exactly. you're upset. I'm sorry that you're upset. And, and I don't feel like it's genuine. No, I'm sorry that I upset off. you. Yeah. yeah. It so, pisses me off because I want there to be some comeuppance for Prospero and, and I think, the way I think that he acts. A, I think it is in all in how Prospero is played. You can, I agree. You I agree. Can, no, you can. You for can sure. put it in. Um, but I do agree that the text itself does not give you that. Yeah. Well, even as he's making his speech about not being able to leave until there's applause, but still begging someone else for their, to make him greater than he is. Applaud yeah. me. Applaud me. He's, he's manipulated everybody else in the story up to this point. The only people he hasn't manipulated are the audience. And now he's doing exactly that. He's like, you know, I can't leave the island and go back and rule my people unless you set me free with your applause. And it's clap, like, and, clap so, for me, bitches. and so the play ends with the audience doing Prospero's bidding, like everybody else in the play has done the entire would you, play. Would you be able to sit in the audience, not clap, and be like, fuck no, you, Prospero? Of course not. <laughs> I mean, if it was a really terrible <laughs> I mean, if it was real bad, then yeah. I do like your idea of taking away from that, though. By, by like Caliban, Caliban being the one. Oh, no, I, I love that idea of Caliban coming out and being like, Fuck you! Go! Get off my island, white devil. Chase, I don't know if you're allowed to say that. I don't know either. But he did. I did. Anyway, but... But no, yeah, no, I agree. I I love that idea of Caliban being like, oh, all it took was somebody clapping for your ass? Get the fuck off my island! And I think that's why that idea appeals to me, because that choice would finally have somebody undercutting Prospero's power. Yeah. It is no. mean. Like, even... I like that you chose the mean thing. <laughs> you know, right? Cassie even... normally does not choose the mean thing, so in this instance... Depends. Yeah. But I... <laughs> Depends. I think, like, even Ariel, who is so much more powerful than Prospero... Is still Because who, who is, honestly, Prospero's power... Like, think of all the things but that happened in this play. Still, Prospero still has enough power that the threat of putting Ariel back in a tree right. is legitimate. Otherwise, yeah. Ariel would not give a fuck. 
But the power we see him do is put Miranda to sleep and make some old dead goddesses come up. What? Well, he also does create but the tempest. It's not all Ariel. It's not all Ariel. But the goddesses aren't Prospero. They're spirits of the air. They're Ariel's minions who he yeah, so brings still in. Him. So it, basically his magic power is putting his daughter to sleep whenever he wants. I told you! It's the one power I want! <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is a pretty awesome power. If, if yeah, no, absolutely. If you get to fall asleep, sleep. I do it to my but yeah, I too, just... I spend this whole play Sweet. wanting somebody to utter, undercut Prospero's superiority. No one quite does it. No, I want him to not have power in a single moment. Hmm. There are ways that it can be done. There are. I wonder but... if that's why so often people feel that Shakespeare wrote himself in as Prospero, because he always has complete control. Yeah, I could see that. It very well could be. I still really want to know what our adaptation was. I'm going to leave that post-it up there until I'm able to listen to the audio, and then I'm going to write it in, in all caps in a different color, and when we get together next, the Gosh, first we were thing we talk even about. even as, like, a short play. No, that was the Friar. That that's was the, the Friar play. No, no, that's not going to be a short play. <laughs> no, that's a full length. The Friar, the friar play is a full length. But it was some pop culture. It was, and I said, so are you saying that this is an adaptation of The Tempest? Yeah. I can make it happen. I can make anything into an adaptation of anything. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And we were going to, and it was going to be brilliant, and I feel like we've let everybody down. I've let myself down. No, we haven't let anybody down, because they already know about it. They can either go back to the last episode right now, which we can't because we're in the middle of recording, and I don't want to risk losing the episode that we've had so far. That was really fast. I know. It was. It Are you was. okay? He just drank a bunch of coffee. Yeah. Like a gallon. You... He had a gallon of coffee in that mug. <laughs> it's really impressive. And How are you drinking coffee? It's after midnight. Uh, well, I'm not drinking coffee anymore. I finished like half an hour ago. Yeah, it was he before midnight when he drank it, but he's he still obviously... Do you coffee at midnight? And the moment is not right? No? No, not He's not trying to meet Virginia. No? No. All right, but it is after midnight, which I did not realize. No, it is, And yes, we've been indeed. recording for quite a while. No, these, this is actually going to be some legit length to these episodes. Well, here. I think well, and some it, there's a lot content. to talk about. No, there's yeah, a I think lot it's great to talk about with this show. It is, on, which, on is, which is funny because this is the second time we've recorded this one. Yes. Because remember, The Tempest... It's the first time I've recorded it. That's true. Yes, because The Tempest was our first practice episode. Yep. For those of you And who, it wasn't... It, wa- it wasn't... It was nowhere it was near this good. No. It's because you didn't have... One, we didn't have, we didn't have Cassie. And she is yeah. necessary for, A, keeping <laughs> us on track and adding some insight. And, br- and, yeah, definitely, Cassie brings an insight that we definitely need to have. And know. he's Ryan and I... You know what? We don't bicker as much as we thought we would. <laughs> we thought Cassie would end up being the, like... The referee. the referee. The yeah, referee in the there. Referee. We thought we'd end up bickering more, but other than you saying Mosswain or whatever. Bosun. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. <laughs> the word is Bosun. <laughs> or that one time I said Devere in the middle of an episode. It's Fuck like, Devere, too. It's all pretty tame. Tamor? Oh, Tamor the Shrew. Tamor the Shrew? Tamor the Shrew. Oh, that's not... I don't like that. Has, has Julie nice. Tamor yeah. done an adaptation of Tamor No, the she hasn't. Although, when we were talking about um, her... Because I would love to see her Julie Tamoring the Shrew. I didn't realize she had done an adaptation of Midsummer. 
Oh, oh what has she? Yeah, and then I have to go find that. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna have to find that too because I don't think I've seen Julie, that. Yeah, Julie Tamer did Across the Universe, which I freaking love. Oh um, yeah, Julie Tamer also did Across the Universe for a pop culture reference. Yeah, it's so beautiful, such a beautiful <laughs> um, way to get back into the Beatles. If you aren't into it now, you will be by the time you're done with it. Mm. Um, it's a good Beatles homage. Yeah, well, so I was looking through like, what else did she, she did? Titus, what else? Midsummer? I've never seen that. 2014? That's recent. That's yeah, that's more recent. That? I didn't realize. Didn't yeah, and it looks crazy. Uh, somehow, somehow I, I slipped that slipped past you my radar. You know what? Midsummer as like with with the creepy ominous bench yeah. to it, I think it would be fascinating. But that's another podcast. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, we should wrap this one up. We should we wrap should. this one up. But I, this has been fantastic, and I yeah. love. Like I said, I love this play, and it will always be near and dear to me. And I can I can do another. Three hours, probably. It's not. I think their ears would bleed. No, they would. Everyone else probably couldn't, but I could. I could find ways to delve deeper into this play more and more. Like I could get into my notes and I could get into the dramaturgy, yeah, things like that of you know directing it. Um, So I think we just have to push on with a. What, Paul? But yeah, I love this play. So that's where I'm at, and this has been Shakespeare. This is actually one of the ones I truly love. What? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I didn't pick that up. Did you pick that up? He hit it well. But uh, episode 34 of Shakespeare, and I think we're going to get back into the history the next time with Mm. episode 35. For Henry V. For Henry V. Which, by the way, is the other play that we tried out. Mm-hmm. In pre-production, I'm gonna call yeah. it. Yeah, in, in, yeah, and and practice runs. I'm gonna tell you the apocrypha. I, we It'll really, be better this go round. Yeah, this is this is a redemption episode for us for Henry V because uh-huh. our Henry V yeah. one was super boring. It was boring and dry. And um, I actually do have a college paper that I wrote on actually Henry V. Well, and I'm looking forward to doing Henry V. I love the role. <laughs> yeah, you are. It's a great. It's a great one. So that's where All we're right. gonna be next time. All right. My Bro- name's Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Ryan Hathill. And I'm Chase Greenley. Say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John, goodnight, John Boy. What, Paul? This is where they applaud, right? Yes. No, something applaud. about... Applaud! We won't shut up until you applaud. Applaud, bitches! I just want to marmus that. <laughs> 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 I'm letting this recording go way too long. <laughs>